the program Discover the Vocation. I'm your host, Father Danny Santos. Great to be with you. This is the program where we meet the various people of our diocese and they share with us how they discover their vocation. Hope you had a wonderful Christmas and a great new year. We're starting off this year with a bang as I introduce our next guest, Deacon Henry Tomaszewski. Deacon Henry is currently a permanent deacon of the West Middlesex Catholic Family of Parishes, married with five sons and four daughters, and he shared before the uh, interview uh, five grandchildren as well. Deacon Henry, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Father Danny. It's an awesome pleasure, privilege to be here. It's great to have you on the show. We've, we've gotten to know each other with a little bit of time, but I know you've been uh, working away there as a permanent deacon now for, uh, has it been uh, roughly three, four years now? Yeah, a little over three years. A little bit over three years. Right through COVID. Through COVID, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Was it uh, a bit of a challenge, you know, acting as a permanent deacon during COVID, or did you kind of get get your feet wet and yeah. still had a way to minister? Well, you know, I, um, that's a good question. Yeah, we did, uh, uh, we did plenty of challenges were presented, but uh, I thought we had a very good family of parishes team that uh, could help guide how we would minister as a team. So I'm yes. grateful. Excellent, excellent. So uh, uh, Deacon Henry, this, this is a program, of course, where we learn about our, the various people of our diocese and uh, a lot of times people want to start from the beginning. So why don't you share with us, uh, you know, were you born in the Diocese of London? Did you come from outside the Diocese of London? What was your family life like? And what was your parish life like? Were you, were you was your family practicing Catholics or was it kind of a mix in between or, or was it something completely different? Yeah. Okay, thanks. Uh, yeah, I grew up in Chatham and uh, both my parents are Polish. Uh, they came from Poland, met in Chatham and married in Chatham and they had eight kids. And uh, Poland being a, a very Catholic country, um, yeah, we went to mass every Sunday um, and various feast days and things like that occasionally through the week. Um, and the thing is uh, mass was offered in Polish at our parish community. So as a you know, young man or young boy, I hardly understood anything from the mass. <laughs> I could still pray the Our Father and do some prayers in Polish. Um, and we were dragged to Polish school too as, as, as children. But um, that was kind of my first exposure to uh, Catholic practice. Um, but uh, we always had uh, you know, many uh, devotional books, uh, lots of icons and images and pictures in our home. Uh, that pointed to the faith. Um, and in those days, uh, the priests would occasionally come to visit in our homes as a real blessing. So the Polish community, and I think uh, everyone knew each other quite well. Uh, we certainly felt like we were known by the priests. Even as a young boy, I felt that. Um, in terms of uh, during the vocation, it was promoted in our, in our home. Um, you know, mom would say, uh, Henry, you should think about being a priest. You know, you only work Sundays, right? <laughs> well, I, I, we know that's not true, <laughs> but um, nevertheless, uh, you know, the kind of seeds were planted in my head, and and uh, you know, and and I met had good friends went to Catholic schools down in Chatham, uh, the Pines, Ursuline College was the high school I went to. Um, we had some very faith-filled religious uh, teachers okay, that were good influencers. Um, and nevertheless, I you know, went into university and uh, pursued uh, teaching 
degree and started teaching in Kitchener and um, hadn't met Kathy yet, my wife. Um, but at that time in Kitchener, I, I knew the importance of maintaining a faith life and, and the value of a spiritual director. So in Kitchener, um, Father Michael Wonder uh, was willing to serve that role for me. And here he is recognizing, uh, again, a young man, single man, uh, interested in God, wondering, you know. So he, he invited me to pursue a vocation, possible vocation to the priesthood. And, you know, um, that stuck in my head. And I remember driving home from the school I was teaching at in Kitchener, you know, across the expressway to my apartment. And in that, it was sometime in November of 1985, uh, I heard this inner quiet voice. You know, it was, come follow me. So, you know, immediately I put together, okay, Father Michael suggesting priesthood, come follow me. That to me seems like a pretty clear message. <laughs> so anyway, long story short, I, I did pursue this, okay, with the Diocese of Hamilton, and I did go to St. Peter's Seminary in 1986. And in that time there, a powerful time, an awesome time of discernment, it became more apparent to me, but also apparent to spiritual director there, the rector, that God wasn't calling me to the ordained priesthood, but he had opened my eyes to the, to the um, opportunities that were existing in the teaching profession to be a light. Okay. So um, I chose then to return to teaching I made it known to my former principal that I was going to um, reapply to enter the workforce. Would he please keep me in mind, you know, the next year for a job and he comes up. He said, okay. And then a day later, he called me to say that the teacher they had hired to replace me had just resigned when I consider returning to teaching. So, there we go, Got more confirmation uh, in that discernment process at the time, okay? Uh, eventually I met Kathy um, and in the, uh, I could, I had this sense right away that this was the woman that I was to um, get to know much better and even possibly marry, okay? This, this is like our first few meetings with one another, a faith-filled woman, all right? So, um, uh, anyway, that uh, unfolded just as that, as I said, it did. And, you know, nine kids later, here we are. But about, I want to say about 15 years ago, um, a couple of friends of mine, one was already uh, an ordained deacon, permanent deacon. Um, and then another one was in the formation process in the early years in our diocese for permanent deacon. And it, they influenced me too a good way um but again i remember honestly a dream it was a dream that one day i'd be returning to the seminary so i shared this with kathy so hmm, okay and i connected it with permanent diaconate and it wasn't the right time you know we had um small children uh as you said mentioned already nine kids i think the youngest might have been one or two years old at the time. He's 17 now, all right? So it definitely wasn't the time. It was an idea that was parked 
But when I saw the uh, um, bulletin announcements, basically that um, there's more information here, these sessions for the permanent diaconate, uh, I went with Kathy, of course, and uh, you know, together we decide. Yeah, Henry, take an application process, an application package home, start the application, and then see what God does, whether He opens the door or closes the door. Okay, as I already had the experience that okay, I thought it was priesthood, but no, God closed that door and opened something else. That could have happened here, and this way God opened that door for the permanent diaconate for me. That's my vocation story, Brother Danny. Beautiful, beautiful. I mean, one of the things I think that's the struggle with the vocation, especially of the permanent diaconate, is a lot of older men, even younger men, will see it and say like, well, this is like a lesser vocation of the priesthood. I tried the priesthood, it wasn't for me, so this is like option B. But can you kind of share a bit with your discernment, like how you saw this is not an option B, but this is like what I'm called to do? Because every vocation has a practical purpose within the church and also in our own lives in terms of growing in holiness. Yeah, Um I, I see it as a, again, it is a, uh, a vocation of service as what marriage is, as what the priesthood is, okay? So I, I see that all as having so many common elements in it, all right? Um, service, you know, service to my wife in the sense of doing my best to sacrifice and will for her good to help her get to heaven. And she sees that as her primary role for me. All right. Um, and our, our marriage has matured uh, uh, really with the help of the uh, formation process and the diaconate, I have to say, that was a big boost uh, to our uh, growth in our marriage. That's a whole other story. Anyway, um, to be able to uh, learn better how to communicate with each other, for instance, okay, and share uh, our feelings, okay? But um, I see, uh, I don't see it as a lesser role. I see it as an equal role. Um, I see even the vocation to single life as an equal role to these other vocations that we mentioned. Um, again, I've seen an expanded role of a wider vision of what the teaching vocation is, right? So. Um, you know, God calls us in so many different ways, um, according to our gifts and abilities, right? Mm -hmm. You said the uh, the word formation, and um, for those who are not familiar, uh, Deacon Henry, you know, there is formation for priesthood, for religious life, for married life, for, for even single life, but even the permanent diaconate. Um, can you share with us a little bit about, you know, what the formation process is like? Like, in a, in a nutshell, if you were to sum up, like, how does it look for a man going through the process from, you know, entering into the seminary through the application process all the way to, God willing, the ordination to the permanent diaconate. Okay. Uh, well, the steps are to take an application package and complete it. And that's really no small matter either. There are some references that letters that need to be um, uh, gathered. Uh, other um, a police check is pretty standard these days. Um, psychological testing. Um, you know, biography, you know, uh, there's canonical rules that would already perhaps be a barrier for some men considering permanent diaconate. Uh, for instance, uh, you need to be at least 35 years old, but less than age 60 before you begin the process. Um, you know, married only once. Um, and there's a few other things like that, which become pretty clear in the uh, information session that uh, 
to, to pursue. Um, so that uh, package is assembled over several months and then forwarded to the selection committee. And then um, there are about, I think, three points at which in that first year out of five years, the first year is that um, it's called the aspirant year, where um, at each of those three markers in the year, they say, yes, uh, please proceed or no, we think we don't think this is for you or we defer you to another entry point, you know, which is every two years currently in our diocese. Okay, um, so that's that first aspirant year. Um, it's followed by uh, four additional years um, of formation and study. Um, that recalls monthly weekend uh, gatherings with everybody else and who's discerning this. Uh, at St. Peter's Seminary, and there they you would learn again, uh, go deeper into the liturgy. Um, we would you know, learn how to pray liturgy, the hours. Uh, we would uh, be taught uh, at, uh, it, it's consider, it is a university level, so they do ask that uh, those candidates have already a, a started a university degree in something or have completed a university degree already before we embark on um, further studies for you know, formation for the permanent diaconate. Okay. Um, so they give us uh, one day in the weekend, they would give us a kind of a crash course um, collapsed from what would have been given in a semester or a term at the seminary. So we had the same seminary staff and faculty who were teaching us so generously and what a faculty we, we have, <laughs> what a treasure there. Um, so that would uh, be, you know, 10 months of, this, of a year, uh, summers off. Um, so that was once a month on a weekend at seminary. Then there were weekly um, meetings for the men in smaller groups, okay, to share about what we learned in the past month and then uh, what we learned in the reading materials that were given to us that would be presented in the next month. So there's a good amount of, I would say, reading homework in there and journal. There we learn the practice of journaling. Okay, and to, um, we pass our journals up to uh, those in the formation uh, leadership, okay, that where they could help uh, guide or help us discern, right, if God is already calling us to this. So we're not alone, okay? Not only is it our own personal prayer life to help discern, our wives, there are, are welcome every step of the way and encouraged to be a big part of the whole process, including the discernment, obviously, and the formation team, okay, which has a spiritual director too, and our own spiritual directors. Okay, so there's a there's kind of a team there uh, to help in the whole discernment process, and that discernment continues on like that through all those four years. Uh, you know, at one point, good discernment. They said, Henry, you, you need to slow down here. So I backed away, right? And a um, year and a half later was ready to resume, okay? What a gift to be able to pause your formation and then re resume, okay? So I did this, I call it the uh, enhanced plan. <laughs> I did seven years rather than the five, 
Okay, um, and that that time away was extremely fruitful for both Kathy and me. So, uh, in terms of time commitment, you're looking at about um, I would say between eight to ten hours a week of being able to contribute to your formation during those years, and therefore uh, we were all encouraged right up front to prune. Uh, some things that we're doing in our lives that were not necessary. So I was a high school teacher and a coach. I was, I've been coaching enough times. I, I gave up the coaching. Okay. And that made room for those hours. Um, by year two and three, you're also now doing not only the formation, but you're doing some charitable works in the community. Um, and there they're looking for, you know, one to three hours kind of thing. And that was a, an excellent discipline to work through uh, because when after ordination, then you know, the expectation continues to be about that time commitment. It's not full time. And although like a husband, you're a husband all the time. You're not engaged in husband activities every minute of the day. Same for a teacher. You're, you're a teacher 24-7, but you're not actively teaching. Same as a permanent deacon, right? Yeah. Or a father and all those roles. So um, while it is uh, a vocation in that sense, a full one, um, the visible uh, part of the um, activities would amount to those many hours, I would say. And, and I would add, too, um, that the expectation is that uh, permanent deacons would self-fund okay any of their ministry work that they get to do so there's no remuneration okay, in that sense so uh that has lots of positive aspects to it too yeah beautifully said um now you've mentioned about the activities and the, the you know the, the activities of the deacon a lot of time we basically we cross over i know a lot of priests and deacons we do a lot of the same stuff we preach we we teach we sanctify but we do it in our own unique way um can you kind of share with us a little bit about you know what do you typically do in in the family parishes um i know all deacons for the most part have a ministry of charity or ministry of service they're called to by the bishop and by their uh, their local parish and their local community um because i think a lot of people sometimes we see the deacons on the weekend and think oh they're preaching a homily for the weekend and that's all they do but meanwhile it's like there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff that's happening in terms of supporting the pastor and the, the bishop in the diocese all right thanks um yeah my ministry of charity is uh working with seniors so that involves uh going to visit them in nursing homes or retirement homes uh and i get to do this uh here in strathroy um you know, again, a little time commitment there. It's probably it amounts to about, including travel, um, maybe six hours a week of that. Okay. Uh, in addition, uh, occasionally there's been some calls when the uh, parishioner is suddenly ill in the hospital. Okay. And priest wasn't available. Henry, could you visit them? Okay. So if it works for my schedule, yeah, I may do it. Um, so those are some of the out in the community uh, aspects of it. Uh, and that is so rewarding. You know, again, confirmation, you're doing the right thing. Okay. Father Danny, I know when you see the, the men that you uh, minister to who are pursuing a vocation of priesthood, 
to watch them go through that and grow in it. It has to be so rewarding for you. Okay, again, confirmation, God has got you right where you are supposed to be at the time. So I see that all the time in ministering to seniors or the sick. Uh, I get to be involved with the um, St. Vincent de Paul Society here um, in our parish community. Uh, again, there we have, for instance, we have a weekly meal for the community um, where we outreach to those who are poor. Okay, so uh, that's a blessing to get to be there and just visit and chat with the people who come. Okay, it's a ministry of presence, right? Um, that again, that was something in formation that was my eyes were open to. I had no idea how important ministry of presence is, just being there. Okay, not even necessarily initiating or guiding the conversation, but just being present. Um, and then, as you mentioned already, on uh, the weekends, uh, the expectation for a permanent deacon is that they would be in the sanctuary uh, for one or more um, masses on a weekend. Every one, yeah, they have to be, okay? um, which is a joy, uh, which also leaves room for perhaps on another mass on the weekend to sit with your wife in the pew and with your family. Now, again, what a witness to both vocations there, right? So uh, one takeaway I got from the whole um, formation process and how it impacted marriage was like, uh, you know, if this, suppose I'm holding a tube of plasticine here, okay, the permanent diaconate vocation, and here in this hand, the, the marriage vocation. Okay? What became apparent to me and what God did is took the two and just squished them, okay? And so each vocation penetrated the other and helped form the other and integrated the other. And both vocations, in my opinion, have blossomed uh, through that. Amazing. Hope that helps. Yeah, no, it does. It does. Um, Deacon Henry, I want to thank you for spending some time. I know you're you're very busy in the family parishes and in your with your family life as well. Um, you know, one of the things that um, you know some men are curious about, maybe even older men who are listening to the podcast. Uh, maybe they have sons. Maybe they have daughters. Um, maybe they're married. Maybe they're not. Um, they but they might be hearing you and saying like this kind of is triggering something in my heart saying maybe I'm called to the permanent diaconate or maybe I need to think more about this. What's one piece of advice from your own experience that you can share with these men that might be thinking about this type of vocation? And thanks, Father Danny. I, I would say open your heart to yours. Well, if you're married to your wife, open your heart to your pastor. Get a spiritual director Okay, and see them regularly. Okay, uh, again, one confessor is, uh, I think, a wonderful uh, thing if you can get that uh, regularly. And obviously, get down on your knees a lot, right? Ask the Lord to um, to guide you. So um, that's that's the advice I would have to offer. It's it's simple, it's beautiful, and it gets to the heart of it. D. Henry, thank you so much. You know, my, my prayer is you continue to do your good and holy work in the parish and you and your wife and your, your sons and daughters can continue to either live out their vocation authentically uh, or 
they're still discovering their vocation. I know some of your boys are still maybe possibly thinking about the priesthood, possibly married life, but we're praying that the Lord inspires them to move in whatever direction gives them the greatest sense of fulfillment and peace. Thank you so much, Father Danny. God bless you. Thank you. Before we go, do you mind giving us a, a final prayer and blessing but for all those who are listening or watching our, our uh, podcast this, uh, sure. uh, this day? Yeah, absolutely. Mighty God, for all of those who are maybe watching this podcast, pray for your blessing on them and their discernment. Pray that you open their eyes, their hearts, their minds to how you are leading them and give them the assurance that you are always leading, always at their side. And may Almighty God bless you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. It was great to be with Thank you. you. Please join us next time for another episode of Discover the Vocation. Same vocations time, same vocations channel. God bless. Bye-bye.